Welcome to Tech Whisperers, the podcast that takes you inside the playbook of the world's best digital leaders. This is a show for digital and business leaders who are passionate about learning from the industry shapers and market makers. Join your host, Dan Roberts, as he unpacks the unique stories, leadership philosophies, and answer the call moments that define and differentiate the best leaders of our day. Our goal is to help you gain an edge and move you beyond your comfort zone so that you are driving more impact and value for your team, your company, and your career. Let's get into the show and hear from another amazing tech whisperer. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dan Roberts, your host. And fun fact for you today, since 1955, when the Fortune 500 was created, there have been 2,200 companies who have graced the list. Only 49 of these have been on the list for 68 consecutive years. By my math, that's only about 2%. Today, we are featuring Owens Corning, one of these 49 impressive companies. Owens Corning consists of three integrated businesses most of us don't realize. One is composites, one is insulation, one is roofing. And they rack up an impressive $8.5 billion in sales each year. They're powered by 20,000 employees across 33 countries. They're also powered by a small and mighty, I put that in the air quotes, technology organization that has been guided by Steve Zerbe over the past decade. Steve shared some exciting news recently, which is why I'm excited that Annie Baymiller is joining us today as she is slated to be Steve's successor. So let's jump into the show and unpack their amazing leadership story and also, I would say, succession done right. Steve, share your big news with us. Sure, Dan. Exciting news. After uh, 36 years in corporate IT, 20 years at Owens Corning, and 10 years in the global CIO role here at Owens Corning, I am going to be retiring this uh, mid-March coming up. And uh, even more exciting for me is I get to see a longtime uh, colleague and friend, Miss Annie Baymiller, will be stepping into my global CIO role here at Owens Corning and undoubtedly fixing all the things I broke and cleaning up all the messes I created. But I'm very excited for her and for the rest of the team. Uh, I, I look forward to, to seeing all the great things they do over the next decade. Well, congratulations to you, Steve. That's exciting news. And, and I want to talk more about the next chapter because you've got a lot to, to offer and, and a, lot of, a lot of energy. And Annie, welcome and congratulations to you. What, what's this, all this mean to you? Well, thank you. I mean, I, I couldn't be more proud, I think, if I tried to lead the team here at Owens Corning. And I pretty much grew up at Owens Corning. I joined in our early career program. I've worked for Steve the vast majority of my career. And it's just a, a total honor for me that I get to continue the momentum that he's he's led us on so far in terms of the team we've built, the connections into the businesses. I admire his his leadership very, very much. And I'm really excited to kind of carry that legacy forward with the, the team we've got around the globe for IT. Well, I'm really excited about the two of you being together, and I know that you were too, because the way you've orchestrated this is a model that I think we can all learn from. And, you know, I call it succession done right. And I have another example, recent example, a good friend of mine who's uh, in your situation, Annie, his CIO announced his retirement back in July or January. So they had a good six month runway. And so I said to my friend, let's call him George. I'm like, George, are you are you going to put your hat in the ring? He says, yes. I'm like, Who's going to make the call? He said, it's going to be a committee, but the CEO really is going to make the call. I'm like, great. What's your relationship with the CEO? He's like, 
I haven't talked to him in two years. I'm thinking, oh, that is like a failure on many levels. So Steve, can you talk about, share maybe your approach, your mentality to succession, how you set Annie up on many levels for success? Good question, Dan. I, I think about succession more as the end of a journey than a beginning. I think a lot of times people think about succession as the beginning of a new career, a new phase of career for the successful candidate. And to a certain degree, it certainly is. But the succession planning really has to be, in my from my point of view, the end of a journey. And what I mean by that is when that time comes, I don't think you want a lot of outstanding questions about gaps in skills, things maybe they haven't seen, uh, a selection committee hasn't seen somebody do, aspects of either behavior or performance over a period of time. I think all those boxes, so to speak, you want already checked, you know, in the kind of journey behind. And if you're kind of expecting that um, miracle occurs here last month of a career prior to succeeding somebody, I think you're really putting a selection committee in a tough spot. I think the the amount of risk around that, the amount of what if around that is something that can at least unacceptable at that point. Um, and we've had the luxury here of being deep in succession dialogues for several years and really taking the opportunity to build build a role around Annie and some of her colleagues in a way that, you know, as aspirations grew as opportunities came, being able to add on the current roles so that when we're at the end of this journey, uh, you know, all of the, all the requisite capabilities have been demonstrated, skills had been sharpened, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I just think with, particularly with any long-term CIO, I, I can't think of a reason not to manage it that way. And candidly, that's, that's how we've managed it here. Yeah, and I know, Annie, you do this at every level. I mean, it's, it's part of your culture. It's part of your organizational DNA. As the beneficiary of this approach and now as the uh, the steward of it, what's it like from your vantage point? You know, how has it stretched you over time? Yeah, I think more than anything, it, it helped to be really purposeful in my development. So as part of this process, Steve led the way with members of our executive committee to really put together kind of, I'd call it like a capability map of a CIO of the future, what are those skills that they need? What are the areas where then I could do some self-assessment against to say, you know, I've had some good experiences over here, got some things I want to learn over there. And that then anchored Steve and I every year to where do I really want to make a committed effort to, to grow in certain areas that I knew were going to be important. So that level of purposeful planning and objectivity in terms of where I could improve and where I needed to, to really kind of maximize maybe some more innate skills or strengths that I had just made the process feel less daunting, right? It was always about chipping away at it and doing it in a way that it was anchored back to something that was really well aligned towards why we were creating certain development plans or why certain things mattered for the future. And it just plays to kind of how we lead the org here too. So it was, I think, a real example of the way Steve has led the function about building roles around people, about being really thoughtful in terms of what people are innately great at, and then the things that we need to either surround with other team members or continue to develop in. So yeah, I'm really, I'm very pleased that it it went the way it, it did and the commitment during the process, but I'm not surprised that, you know, Steve 
navigated it in the way he did just because it's it really is kind of how we we build talent in the function as well. Yeah, yeah, really impressive. And you've got a neat way of looking at it. And I forget, I think it's an analogy around the river. Do you, do you remember sharing that with me at one point? I think it's Steve's analogy, but I'm now going to shamelessly steal it okay. going forward. All so right, uh, he, he often speaks of it in terms, I think this is actually a really great visual. You know, you're trying to to cross a river and the only way you could get there was these huge jumps from big boulder to big boulder. And thinking of that as constantly having to change your job, constantly being 100% immersed in something you didn't know how to do or didn't have a lot of a lot of depth in, it'd be way harder than if you had a bunch of small stones that you kept your foot on the things that were stable as you reached for the ones that were further out there. And I think that ability to tack things onto roles as you are more ready for bigger opportunities is just a really thoughtful way to build succession, a thoughtful way to build development because it makes it way less daunting, way less risky in terms of failure. And it makes it more enjoyable, right? You get to hold on to something that you love and you know you're good at while you're you're learning something that you know always comes with a bit of anxiety as, as something new is is in your area of accountability. So makes crossing that river of of succession uh, a more enjoyable and surely a less risky path. Yeah, I appreciate that way of thinking about it. And you know, Steve, I know that you have been even with those years of service tenure as a CIO, you've doubled or more the the tenure of the CIO. You continue to invest in yourself. You continue to learn. You continue to stretch and grow even today. And so I've gone out and found two industry luminaries who are part of your inner circle, were joyful at giving, having the opportunity to give a mystery question. So let's listen to this first one and tell us who this is once you hear it. And then uh, you can have some fun with the question. So let's listen in. Steve, the sustained recognition of Owens Coin as an outstanding place to work is a bottom line measure of effectiveness of your leadership. What is the single most important thing you have done to achieve this unique recognition? You recognize that guy? I do. That is a, a very good friend and longtime colleague, Dr. James Ireland Cash Jr. And uh, he's been a good friend of Annie and myself for a very, very long time and has always been very gracious with his, his perspective and his access to his immense network. Yeah, whenever I hear his voice, he's like the old E.F. Hutton commercial. When he speaks, you you pay attention, very close attention to what it is that, that he says. But uh, yeah, a very good friend of mine. It's a good question. I'm a little bit of an odd duck when it comes to a technology leader in that I, I think great technology leaders, the truly great ones are those that spend more time on on talent and people than they do technology. And I would say, you know, how many times... And Dan, you've been in a thousand circles in your life. You walk into a meeting with a bunch of tech leaders and somebody says something about what's most important to you or what's your biggest asset. And everybody will answer it, their team or their people. And then for the next 59 minutes of that one hour meeting, they'll never mention people or time again. And they'll focus on process or technology or frameworks. And, you know, I've just become a really big believer that if you want to boost productivity and results in your company, becoming a better people leader, a manager of people, people and behaviors is where I would put my money every time. So um, a good day is a day that 51% of it is spent in and around the uh, topic of people and 49% of it is on technology. And uh, 
you have to come to work every day, leaning into that, being excited by that. If you dread the personal interactions, if you don't have time for the little things that make a difference in the teams and the people around you and their lives in and out of the office, then I think you're doing uh, all of them and yourself a bit of a, a disservice. If that makes me unique, I guess so be it, but it's what I've come to enjoy. And, and honestly, that's, that's where we've driven our results, both in terms of performance and retention and attraction and all those things that I think as leaders we want, but perhaps we don't always have our time and invest and match our wants. And I think we've done a very nice job here in that regard. No question. You're right. I, I have a, a unique lens over many thousands of organizations. And, you know, just to kind of put you all on notice, right, most are using the Einstein, proving out Einstein's insanity definition. You know, we keep doing the same things. We talk about people being our most important asset, and we just uh, look for different results. And so you're you're very intentional, very purposeful. Dr. Cash, Jim, thank you for your query question. He does he does have um, a question for you, Steve, that is he's wrestling with in terms of your your leadership decision making, and he he needs to know why are you such a diehard Cavaliers fan, Cleveland <laughs> Cavaliers? That's that's just something he can't come to grips with. No offense to our Cleveland friends. Yeah, you did uh, you did have a dialogue with him, didn't you? Um, <laughs> I saw Jim a few weeks ago, and I once again, I pointed out that the world champion 2016 basketball champions were from Cleveland, and nobody from Boston, no matter how many banners they have hanging up, has won one since 2016. And subsequently, we've beaten them twice in the regular season already. <laughs> so uh, Jim is a, a very good friend, and he's a great man. Makes you feel like you're the only man and the only woman in the room when you go in to meet him, no matter how big the crowd is. Uh, we'll make time for you at any moment. Uh, I've learned a lot from Jim about, you know, managing myself and, and managing the organization for sure. Very uh, presence, big impact in our industry. Not only is he a tall gentleman, but he casts a long shadow for many reasons. So appreciate him. Steve, I want to double click on this a little bit more. I think it's so important because I think the bigger headline is the workforce strategy. I mean, you think about this on a more strategic level and it's a first pillar, not a fifth pillar for you. And could you open up your playbook a little bit more? What are some of the things that you do to make talent? I mean, to put the, the proof in the pudding here. Well, I think the first thing when it comes regard to talent, Dan, is I think you have to create an organizational brand and then you have to really amplify that brand. And what I mean by that is whatever you as an organization value in people and behavior, I think you have to talk about it out loud. I think you have to emphasize it at every turn. And, you know, to some degree, there'll be a group of people in the world outside your company that will run towards that. It will attract them. I think there'll honestly be a large group that it will run away from that because it doesn't match what they're looking for. But to those folks that run away from it, all I think all you've done is avoid eventual attrition if you weren't to be that deliberate about it. And so for our organization, um, and it sounds a bit trite, but being part of a team and pulling the rope together with your teammates, regardless of who wins, so to speak, but feeling good about a team effort is absolutely positively near the top of our list every day of what we talk about. I often say I think technologists with big egos can be really effective. They just aren't allowed to work for us. They can't work here. 
And, you know, as you say that, you, you begin to react to it. And that's exactly how potential talent does react to it. They're either drawn into it or it's not for them. And again, I, I think one of the real keys is, is figuring out what you stand for, talking about it proudly and loudly in a way that it either attracts or repels. And then once you have that foundation and you've attracted a team, you have to live up to that. And the brochure actually has to match the jobs and the, and the style. And, um, you know, we think about it on a couple of tiers. We have obviously very senior employees that have been with our company for a long time. And we want to make sure they always feel very valued in terms of their experience and unique perspective. And so we try not to create an inside outside with them. If they aren't really part of quote, the management team, we actually invite them into a lot of the discussions, make sure they're fully participative mid-career employees, particularly from the outside, you're usually hiring for a very specific skill set or capability or experience. And we try to make sure that when they come here, they get that an A, work in that area, and B, that they actually get to feel like they're in charge of that. And then early career has probably been a foundation for us. Depending upon how you define it, you could say we haven't over the last eight or nine years, I think we've lost one early career employee or two. So a very small number of them. We promise them when they come that they'll be part of a team, but at the same time that we're going to give them a really big job early in their career. And that's where we, our small size works to our advantage, Dan. Um, if you come to our company, you're going to be one of maybe one or two in a particular area. So your ability to build expertise and be the person, the go-to person, is very, very, very high. If you want to come to a company and be part of 100, 200 people programming X, Y, and Z, and you know that kind of an atmosphere, we're not the company for you. And we, we try to work really hard on making the early career experience a great one. We've got a, uh, a long tradition that I think will probably continue at least one more time before uh, Annie takes the reins where you know, we often promised our early career uh, employees that we'll take them on an international trip uh, with me and my team at some time in their first year or two of, of experience. And, you know, when you're in the Midwest, you know, international travel is a bit of a um, differentiator for us. And we don't do it really kind of as a perk, but I do it as an accelerator of their growth and development. I can remember my first or second uh, international experience. And I often think, what would have happened if that would have happened a decade earlier? And I had that kind of exposure. And, uh, you know, Annie's a byproduct of being able to get that kind of experience, deep international experience early in her career. And so we make that kind of investment in folks and uh, we try to stick true to our word that this is a great place to be part of a team. And a place where being low ego, no ego will actually play to your favor. And a place where you'll get big jobs early and you won't get lost in the numbers. And, and then kind of going back to our previous discussion, as a leader, you get up every day and you try to figure out how to spend 51% of your day making that all come true. And if you're able to do it, good things happen. And if you don't, then, um, you know, piece by piece, you kind of wish you did over time, I think. Yeah, yeah. Annie, part of that brand, that talent brand, um, and you don't shy away from it, you talk about we are a small and mighty IT team, right? That's all part of your story, part of your value prop. Just kind of take us inside the culture a little bit and build on what Steve just shared. Yeah, I think Steve 
clearly we've worked together a long time because we have a lot of the same phrases around, you know, the experience has to match the brochure and low ego, but it's just really true, right? I mean, that's, we're a 210 person team on a 19,000 person company. We've obviously got great partners we work with to execute the portfolio. But as Steve said, I mean, it requires people to take on big jobs earlier in their career. And with that then requires a support system for those people, right? So we've worked really hard to create a culture of curiosity of people who are comfortable pushing themselves out there outside of what might feel like their development window. You can't do that to people and then watch them fail from afar, right? So it really is about how do we build these great people leaders? How do we build a team of people that that wake up every day wanting to make the person who sits next to them better? And I think that's one of the pieces of feedback we get a lot when someone joins the company, especially someone who maybe has been a bit more mid-career. So they've had some external experiences is just the recognition of no questions, a silly question. People really do want to be helpful. They want to be involved in their onboarding. They want to make sure that the work gets done in the most team environment possible. And I think for some of us who largely grew up in the company, we, we probably undervalue how that can feel sometimes. But I think that's where the small and mighty comes to power is while we're 210, we're still super global, right? So we've got IT folks all over the world. And I am always just so proud of how it's still very much one team. It's still very much 210 people who figure out together how we get the work done and how we make sure that those those aspirations people have can come to fruition. And I think the global piece actually plays really well to our talent development strategy as well. As Steve said, I mean, I had the opportunity in my mid to late 20s to live in Europe for a couple of years. And I actually play at the opposite where Steve, you know, said, what if for him, it had been a decade earlier, I worry, what if it had been a decade later? Think of all the things I might have made biases on or made different decisions on, or just didn't have world perspective of the power of a global team. And so I think our ability to continue to advance the early career team to have that really eye-opening experience with a company is both super practical in terms of their ability to then be, you know, instantly more additive, but it's also just very personally rewarding, right? To to get a sense to to see what a global company really can do together. So, yeah, small and mighty is is really important to us because it it doesn't play unless you're mighty, right? Small on its own is not a value proposition, but how you take a team and make one plus one equal three every single day is something that we we work really hard on. Yeah, I love how you built an organization that really punches above its weight every day and the value you bring to the business is incredible. Annie, this is going to be a question that Steve's not going to like, but I'm going to ask him anyways. What's what's his legacy going to be? You know, as a, you know, he mentioned the years and at Owens Corning, 10 years as a CIO, what are those pillars going to be? When I think of Steve and the legacy, I mean, there's two words that instantly come to mind is teamwork and culture, right? I mean, we could talk about Steve's accolades in terms of the products we've built and the portfolios and the platforms, but his legacy will every day be around the master that he is at building winning teams. I know it's the thing that gets him the most excited too, is building teams and then watching them win, but he's he's accelerated so many careers in this organization by his total commitment to making teamwork the foundation for how we function. Um, I, you know, myself being, being obviously a byproduct of 
of that commitment from him. And then that just translates into you, you build a culture, right? He's built a culture that is about us being closer to the business every single day. And it's not because he went in and demanded, why isn't there an IT person in this room? He went in and he found a way to build a team that then just shows the impact, shows the work, shows the low ego, shows the commitment to being collaborators and consultants with the business. And suddenly you look back you know, a year, two, three later, and the impact I think we're making with the business, we've never been more connected with the other functions, with the businesses, and that culture of, of what it really means to be a, a great member of an organization, not just a great member of an IT team, is something that I think will live on long past Steve's, Steve's time here in the CIO chair, because he's quite beloved among the company and surely among us 210 in IT. So I will always look to him with the memory of teamwork and culture because it has come to be a, a completely different team in terms of, of retention and in terms of who we are. And I, I'm very proud to have, you know, have watched him, him lead the way in that for, for the company. Yeah, I really appreciate how the two of you finish each other's sentences, how you're just lock sync with each other. And, you know, some of these things you talk about teamwork and culture, it's you know, it almost seems like a bygone era. You know, we've we've gotten away from these these pillars. And, you know, Steve, you are beloved internally. You're also highly respected across our industry, our profession. And I've got another mystery questioner uh, I'd love to, to pull in here and have you uh, have some fun with his his question. So let's let's listen in and to uh, another industry luminary, another good friend of mine as well. Hello, Steve. It is a pleasure for me to collaborate with you as you drive a successful IT strategy across the Owens Corning business while providing a well thought out cyber defense plan. As you know, cybersecurity is consistently ranked as a top enterprise risk for organizations. And as IT thought leaders, we've all been there, wrestling with how to best strike a balance with the board of directors that clearly communicates the challenges in today's cyber threat landscape while demonstrating that we are leading a thoughtful, well-planned cyber defense strategy. So Steve, what are some effective strategies that you have used to brief your board on cybersecurity? Who is that, Steve? Well, first of all, Dan, I give you a lot of credit for finding two friends of mine because I, the, that population's not very big and you managed, <laughs> and you managed to find two of them. That is a longtime multiple uh, CIO, Paul Martin, who is a, a member of our board of directors. Paul joined us probably two years ago. And um, when we were looking to add some technology uh, prowess to our board, the one thing that was really important to me was that we, we found somebody that was a, what I call a practitioner, you know, somebody who had been in a CIO role at a very large company it wasn't necessarily a technology company, but this wasn't an ex-consultant. It wasn't an ex-software executive or hardware executive. Somebody that, that really understood how to blend technical opportunity with the, the reality of not being in a technology company. And, and Paul's been wonderful. I mean, to answer his question, you know, how do you engage the board? I, first and foremost, when you have the kind of expertise that he has, and you're the CIO of that company, I think you've got to run at him every day. And what I mean by that is for perspective, for points of view, for opinions, for thinking, Annie and I and other members of my leadership team, 
having a chance to engage with Paul outside of the boardroom setting for all of those things. And he's been remarkably uh, open and gracious with his time. So, you know, a board of directors uh, like we have, if you're able to make them feel like more like coaches and less like judges, I think that's one key of engaging the board. And, and Paul certainly has made that happen for us. And I think the other thing that we have to remember, and it's a little bit like when we work with a lot of our stakeholders, most of these board members do not live in this world every day, the technology world, and certainly even in the cyber world. And so your ability to be consistent with how you talk about things so that they're not constantly trying to relearn the what it is you're talking about, but actually being able to immerse themselves in the current status and questions is really, really important. So we work really hard on uh, kind of a standard deck of materials that we review with them on a <laughs> growingly more frequent basis. We rely a lot on bringing external perspective to the table for the board to hear about our progress. I think that gives them great comfort that we're always um, you know, seeking expertise from the outside to confirm or advance our thinking on cyber issues. And I think those two things, simplicity, consistency in your messaging, and then also external perspective being something that's a very constant in your reporting to the board is really important. And then, as I said before, seeing them and the key board members as assets and coaches, not judges in this process, I think creates an entirely different uh, relationship and value proposition between um, yourself as a senior executive and a board of directors who are very committed to, to your success. Yeah, I like that coach versus judge way of thinking. And thank you, Paul. Paul Martin, uh, as you say, Steve, just one of the real great CEOs, now retired, now doing board, board work, some really great board work. And I'm excited in this interaction with Paul. I'm like, Paul, we got to get you on the podcast. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to feature him. We're going to kind of do a tribute to his leadership journey and career. So that'll be a great, I might have to bring you in as the mystery questioner. Then, <laughs> there, there you go. I'll, I'll start thinking a really hard question. Really hard question for, for Paul. So thank you, Paul. You know, Annie, one of the other pillars that I've always, every time I talk to you and Steve, it's just so refreshing, but you both start with customer. Outside in, inside out. It's very refreshing. You know, I think people lost sight of that. And I know, I know you like you're very content with playing a quiet role in the company. You know, IT technology plays a quieter role. But can you talk about how IT is enabling a sustained level of business success? And people don't realize this, but you're an innovation machine. The way your company innovates is incredible. So maybe just kind of be a little uncomfortable as I ask you that question, Annie. Yeah, I mean, I think it starts for me with how tightly we are connected with the businesses, right? And that is really for me around having learned to be great consultants, right? So internal consultants for our business partners and our, and our functional teams with greater depth way outside of IT. I mean, some of our folks have great depth in business processes or great depth in some of the capabilities or processes that are used out in the market with contractors and specifiers and architects. And I just think that gives us an enormous amount of, of power with our businesses to be able to help them accelerate their strategies, right? So I, I can't remember a time where we've ever been more tightly connected 
to the strategy work where you can literally pull up you know, our three global businesses and, and quite easily hang all of the portfolio work that our team is doing off of that because it isn't all you know, back office work. It isn't all you know, focused on, on some of the internal processes. It's things for our customers, our true customers, our contractors, our architects, our specifiers. And that's really engaging work, right? I think that's 10 years ago might not have been something that was even kind of a possibility for someone in IT, right? It was more about your internal customer and, and the portfolio pointed more at the functional areas. And now we've got team members who are spending time with, with our big customers, figuring out what are their pain points? How do we help them grow? What does better integration look like? How can they leverage data differently to make faster decisions so that we can win together in the market and, and it kind of advance the digital transformation? So I think that ability to be as close to the market as we can is a byproduct of being now as close to the business as we can. So I, I feel really great about that. I'm, I'm super proud of the, the impact the team, the team makes there. And then I think it, it, it really does trickle down into how we work. So how, does the, how do the solutions we create make us more collaborative, more efficient with data at our fingertips every day, you know, in all functions of the company? And you know, picture our commercial teams. How do we make sure that as they're out navigating their markets and talking to their customers and understanding what winning looks like. How do we make sure that they're so equipped to be the best versions of themselves in that role that they can? That's very rewarding work to know that the capabilities we create are, are directly connected with, with someone who's able to go then succeed in, in their job. And, and I, then I think about it too, of the, the impact we're making really on the future of work in our manufacturing facilities. So working closely with our ops leaders and, and the, the team members at our, at our plants to really make sure that we're bringing in predictive monitoring. We've got automation where it makes sense. We've got a, a commitment to safety that is like no other. So seeing that work, which is really kind of that blending of IT and OT come together and figuring out how we just make sure we're set up for success for years to come, I think is also work that maybe wasn't as much on the radar years ago, but one now that we can really, really see it come to fruition. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're a global manufacturing company, right? Our ability to create the best possible product for our customers is how we win and seeing our work connected in, in that space as well, I think has been really rewarding for the team. Yeah. Powerful, powerful. Steve, you're not going to get out of here without being a little uncomfortable yourself. You know, having, having more than doubled the average tenure of the CIO is pretty spectacular. George Westman, just to be fair to uh, MIT, because we had Dr. Cash on from Harvard, but George Westman, has that great quote, there's never been a better time to be a great CIO, nor a worse time to be an average one. And so, I mean, over your tenure as a CIO, you've, you've had to build relationships with four new CEOs. You've had to build relationships with the executive team, the board of directors. You've received these incredible industry awards. I mean, unlike Tom Brady, you're going out on top. You're, you're, you're retiring like championship season, raise the banner. Any advice to our up and coming CIO, people want to be a CIO, people in the seat today, as you reflect on this award-winning career. You know, I'll keep it pretty simple and I'll stitch together just different phrases and learnings I've had from lots of other people in my career. And, and I'll start with one that sounds ridiculously simple, but is really important. And you have to like the company that you work for, right? I mean, People often go in search of employment at companies for a thousand different reasons, but fundamentally every day to get yourself up and come in and do great work and surround yourself with great people, I think you have to like the company that you work for. And that's 
really simple, but sometimes I think overlooked in a lot of ways. I think you have to enjoy building teams and surrounding yourself with team members, almost like chess pieces, right? Who fits best where? How do we think too often we think about putting people in roles as a way of getting work done and not as a way of developing those people. And I think if you think about talent strategy, not as some sort of utility to to satisfy a demand, but more so as a way to develop people with talent moves, it's very satisfying. I think you create an amazing group of people around yourself. And then, you know, the last thing I would say is I, I think you have to always remember that, you know, being in this role is a bit of a lucky privilege. Right. I always make fun of myself a little bit as being a, a double double public school kid, right? Public high school, public university, and that just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And you can never get too full of yourself. I mean, you are here probably more because of luck than you are anything else. And uh, if you come to work every day and you're grateful for that position and opportunity to lead and you surrounded yourself by great people and you work at a company you like, you know, that that's going to be the recipe for a very long, very long tenure. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. And I think just a good lesson for all, all people in leadership roles, right? It's uh, especially in those hard days. And, and there's, there's a lot of those these days, right? But to Indeed. see that, see that in that light, what's next for you, Steve, you know, as you think about the next chapter, you're a young guy, you got a lot to offer. Where are we going to see you after uh, after this uh, chapter closes? Well, you know, I'll talk about it a couple of different ways. One thing that I'm sure of is I'm not interested in a full-time CIO gig anywhere else. I, I often say if I was really interested in that kind of a gig, I'd say exactly where I'm at because I think I have one of the best jobs that there is to have. So there's no interest in that. I am interested, at least for the short term, of having nothing on my calendar and being extremely unimportant to people. Um, those are two things I wish to achieve in the near term. And beyond that, to be honest, I haven't given a lot of thought. If there's a way to contribute where 35, 36 years of experience can be truly additive, then I'm probably all ears. But more often than not, I want to find myself with a day more open than than full and enjoy uh, reading and hearing about all of the uh, accomplishments of all those that have come after me. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, we'd love to uh, get you involved in our, our uh, mentoring and our leadership development program. We have amazing CEOs around the world and our retired CEOs are the best because they've got, they've got time. So uh, <laughs> just kind of plant, plant that seed. And, you know, Annie, you've, you sent people to that program and, you know, one of the fun things we do on the show here is we give you the ability to gift a scholarship in that program, that nine-month leadership program. And you mentioned a minute ago, you know, how do we become great consultants? And that's part of the idea of this program. But is there a, a STEM-related nonprofit, Annie, that uh, I know you're involved with many, many things. Uh, you get a big heart for giving back. But is there an organization you'd like to direct this scholarship to? Yeah, I think Steve and I would would love to to pass it to Girls Who Code. We both have a passion for inclusion and diversity. And we also have a passion for making sure that people can see a path to maybe something different. And for me personally, I I would love to see more young females running towards the career 
as opposed to to feeling like they maybe don't fit the the image or representation that's there today. So we'd love to to help somebody in that in that group to have a chance to go through your program, which I think has been quite rewarding for the, our folks here at Owens Corning who have gone through it. Well, they are the first three-peat winner. They're the first <laughs> recipient of three scholarships. And I think that just tells you uh, how great work they're doing there. So everyone go check out Girls Who Code, see how you can be involved with them and support them. And uh, we'll certainly uh, uh, dedicate that scholarship to them. So thank you for that, Annie. And unfortunately, we've kind of come to the end of our time together. But the good news is we're going to continue having a conversation. I'm going to turn some more of your leadership brilliance into a blog post that will get get launched next week on CIO.com. So we'll be getting the word out on that. But just, you know, there's just so many layers to your story that I want to continue to learn from and be inspired by. But thank you so much, Annie. Uh, This next ride is going to be amazing for you. Congratulations. And Steve, uh, always a class act. Really appreciate you making the time and, and sharing your your humor, your wisdom, your wit, and um, just these leadership practices that have made you not an average CIO, but as George Westman would say, a great CIO. So thank you both. Developing a robust pipeline of future-ready IT leaders who know how to show up and engage differently is paramount to success today. If you would like to learn more about the Tech LX Leadership Development Program that Dan talks about in the podcast, we invite you to visit techwhisperers.net. Equip your workforce with a new mindset and skill set needed to maximize impact, increase engagement, and build a world-class talent magnet brand. You've been listening to Tech Whispers, inside the playbook of the best digital leaders, a Woolette and Associates podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show as this helps us connect the world's best digital leaders with those who aspire to learn, grow, and thrive in this amazing profession. Thanks for listening. Until next time.